presence today. I trust that our soul has blessed the Lord. I trust that you have received our worship through song. And as we turn our attention to your written word, I pray that you would speak to us from it. We invite your Holy Spirit to convict us of sin, to challenge us in the areas of our lives that have yet to be surrendered to you. But more than that, Father, we pray that we would be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ this morning. It's in his good name we pray. Amen. Amen. I want to invite you to take your Bibles, turn with me in your copy of God's Word, or if you're using a digital version, uh, power that up, and let's get over to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4, I want to share a message with you today that I've titled, Jesus Showed Us the Gift of God. Now in uh, doing that, this is actually going to start a series of sermons that is going to lead us up into uh, Easter Sunday. And as we think about that, it's only uh, four short weeks away, and, and I hope you'll pay attention at the end of the service as we uh, share with you some ways that you can maximize the opportunity to put the hands and feet of Jesus to those around you. But in, in praying about the direction of this series, I, I was drawn to a verse in Mark that we'll look at on Easter Sunday. But uh, the verse I was drawn to in Mark was uh, about when Joseph of Arimathea, when he took the body of Jesus and he laid his body in a tomb. And as I just contemplated that phrase, laid his body in the tomb, it just seemed so, so final. It seemed so somber. Here is the Son of God. Here is uh, the the one sent by God who could do anything and everything. But now, after his death, he, he couldn't do anything of his own accord. Someone else had to lay him in a tomb. And then, as preacher's brains go, my, my brain began to, to wander, W-A-N-D-E-R, and then it began to wander, W-O-N-D-E-R. And I just began to think, when were some other times that, that Jesus made a habit of laying down? And I mean, duh, he had to wake up every morning when he went to bed, so he, you know, he, he would lay down to go to sleep. But I began to look at the instances in Scripture, and I began to, to notice that there were several times where Scripture specifically tells us that Jesus either laid down or he reclined at table. Now in the Bible, when you see that phrase, and we'll see a sermon next week that mentions how he reclined at table, uh, but whenever you see that phrase that Jesus reclined at table, that will basically laying down. I'm not going to demonstrate it for you because I have no doubt in my ability to recline. It's my doubt in my ability to get back up after I recline. That's going to keep me from doing that. But when they would recline on, you know, at table, they would basically lay back on their elbows and in a very relaxed uh, atmosphere in order to enjoy a meal or whatever else was taking place in their lives at that time. So today, we're going to, to start this series because every time that 
that uh, we see that Jesus laid down or that he reclined at table, something significant happened when that took place. It was a significant context that surrounded those times in his life. And so today, we're going to look at the time in Jesus' life when someone else laid him down somewhere in a, in a crude makeshift nursery in the town called Bethlehem. In the very familiar Christmas story, Luke tells us in Luke chapter 2 and verse 7 that Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him tightly in cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no room available for them. The first time we see Jesus lying anywhere is the day that he was born when his mother laid him in a manger. In that moment, Jesus was giving us a glimpse into the heart of God. When Jesus was placed in that manger, he was showing us the gift of God to us. You see, Luke records the physical Jesus as he physically was laid in a tomb. But even before that day occurred, there was a spiritual time, a spiritual moment in which Jesus himself laid down something that belonged to him. The apostle Paul captures that for us in Philippians chapter 2 where it says that though he was God, Jesus did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, Jesus gave up his his divine privilege. You know what that means? Some translations say he emptied himself. It means he laid down. He laid aside his divine privileges to take the humble position of a slave that he was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. So before there was ever this physical laying down of Jesus in the manger, there was a spiritual laying aside, laying down his divine privileges so he could leave heaven and come to earth. When Jesus laid down those divine privileges and when he was then laid in a manger as a baby, God was giving us a glimpse of the greatest gift the world had ever seen. How can I say that this morning? Because of what Paul said on our main text, Galatians chapter 4. Now I say that as long as the heir is a child, he differs in no way from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. Instead, he is under guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were spiritually children, we were in slavery under the elements of the world. When the time came to completion, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, 
God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son. And if a son, then God has made you an heir. Notice what Paul is saying in the first few verses, that as men and women in this world, we were in a mess. He said that we were in slavery under the elements of the world. In verse 3, we were operating under the law. And the result was that we were in bondage to what he called the elements of the world. Now, here's what that phrase means. The elements of the world, that is a system in which you get what you deserve. The elements of the world means it's basically the idea of karma, that what goes around is going to come around. And you get what you deserve. And ladies and gentlemen, that is bad news for us. Because according, I know everything else tells you you're good. It's my job to tell you today, you ain't. (laughs) Because Romans chapter 3 and verse 23 says that we are all sinners. That's not good. The elements of this world dictate that we receive what sinners are supposed to receive. Okay, under this system, the elements of the world dictate that we receive what sinners are supposed to receive. Per Romans chapter 6 and verse 23, the wages of sin is death. Not physical death, spiritual death. The wages of sin is eternal separation from God. Under the elements of the world, what we deserve as sinners is to be eternally separated from God. That, my friend, is not good news. But there is some good news. You see, before Jesus was born, we were helpless to do anything about our sin, which would then make us hopeless in having those sins forgiven. But thankfully, the good news is that Galatians chapter 4 doesn't end at verse 3, but it continues to give us some good news about this great gift of Jesus who was laid in a manger. And that gift began when they laid him in that manger. Let me share with you briefly this morning three reasons that this gift of Jesus is a gift for us today. First is this, the birth of Jesus was a gift because of its timing. Because of its timing. And this impacts us even today. Notice that it says in verse 4 that when the time had come to completion, God sent his son into this world. When the time was right, God sent Jesus. When the time was right, Jesus laid aside his divine privileges as he left heaven and came to earth. When the time was right, Jesus was born and laid in a manger. Have you ever, I don't know, maybe it's preachers only do this, but I think it's probably more of us. Have you ever just stopped trying to think, why was Jesus born when he was born? Why did God choose that time frame? Why not do it so much earlier? Or why not wait and do it so much later? Why did God choose that? Because obviously what Scripture tells us is that the time was right when the time was completed. And it's amazing when you start to look back at what was happening in the world at that time. There was this thing, and again, I'm, I'm no history buff, and you history teachers can correct me if I'm wrong in this later, and I'll 
gladly come back and admit I'm wrong. Uh, the Pax Romana was taking place. This time when, when there was relative peace in the world and And so when Caesar Augustus issued a decree that the entire world be taxed, there wasn't an uprising because they had this sense of peace and and there wasn't resistance. And so Mary and Joseph and Jesus in the womb of Mary began to make their way to Bethlehem. It was during this time when they were building all the roads in that part of the world and, and travel was, was easier to make. Now, un- understand it wasn't an easy walk, an easy trek for a woman who was fully expecting a child at the full term of her pregnancy. It wasn't easy for her to make that journey, but it was easier than it could have been that God provided that all the roads would be open. That in that time period when Jesus was born, it was easier for Joseph and Mary and Jesus in her womb to make that trek to Bethlehem so scripture could be fulfilled. That when this is all taking place, the common language in the world was Greek. Everyone knew Greek just like most today. Everyone knows English, the English language. And in that culture, everyone knew Greek so that when Jesus was born, the story of his birth and the story of his life could be told so many people could hear it. The time was was right. It was no accident that Jesus was born when he was born. The time had fully come. The time was completed. Now I want you to see how this has relevance to your life today. God's timing indicates to us that God is in control. Okay, y'all missed a good chance to say amen right there. Even when it looks like things are not in control, the timing of God reminds us and shows us that God is indeed in control. Look, he might allow our own choices to affect our lives, but ultimately everything is under the control of God. This means for you right now in your life, on this day, this means that God is fully aware of what's going on in your life right now. He knows what you are facing, and he knew that you would be facing it right now. You do not live where you live by accident. You do not work where you work by happenstance. You don't have the family that you have because of luck or good or bad, I guess, depending on your family, or good planning on your part. All that's happening because God is in control. Now, there may be some things that are happening to you that you didn't choose. And there may be things happening that God doesn't desire. I'm telling you, God, if you were in an abusive relationship this morning, God did not plan the timing of that, and that is not God's desire for you, okay? I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that whatever situation 
that you find yourself having to navigate today, God is able to enter that situation. Because when Jesus was laid in a manger, it showed us something about God's timing and his control. You can rest in his timing and control today. That's the first thing that we want to notice. The second thing is this. The birth of Jesus was a gift because of its target. Because of its timing, sure, but also because of its target. The target, the goal of Jesus coming into this world, according to verse 5, was to redeem those under the law. And that goal began when Jesus was laid in a manger. You see, God knew our need. God knew that our need wasn't physical. And did you know today that your greatest need is not physical? Your greatest need is spiritual. Because one day, all the physical needs that you have met on this side of eternity aren't going to matter. Because on the other side of eternity, if you have a relationship with Jesus, you're perfected. Your greatest need is not physical. Your greatest need is spiritual. Our deepest need, Paul tells us, is that we will need to be redeemed. Now understand the concept of redemption. Here's what would happen if we live back in Bible times. Let's say we live back in Bible times and we owned a piece of land. And we made some dumb financial decisions. Maybe Dave Ramsey's uh, baby steps weren't around at the time. And, and we made some dumb financial decisions and we became indebted to someone. And to pay that debt... We had to give this person our land. That land was placed in a marketplace. And let's say a couple of years go by and, and we get back on our feet and we get a little money in the bank and we've got enough money to buy back our land. So we would go down to the marketplace on the day in which they were selling land lots. We would find where they were going to sell the lot of land that we had to give away and we would purchase our lot back. We would pay a price to get back what we had to forfeit previously. That's the idea of redemption. Now take that and apply that spiritually. You and I are estranged from God because of sin. Sin, we are in the marketplace of sin. Sin has put us outside of the fellowship of God and we cannot manufacture enough money to buy ourselves back. We can't manufacture enough righteousness to get out of that marketplace of sin. So Jesus comes to the earth. Jesus was laid in the manger so he could grow up to become a man, offer his life on a cross, and when he died on the cross, that was his act of purchasing back us from the marketplace of sin. You see, it's not just that Jesus knew our need. It's that Jesus knew the solution. Jesus paid the price on the cross and that began when they laid him in a manger. Our redemption, my redemption was his target. What a gift when Jesus laid down his divine privileges. When Jesus was laid down in a manger, he added humanity to his deity so he could redeem us. What a gift. The birth of Jesus is a gift because through his birth, 
God began to accomplish the goal, the target of redemption. And he hit that target on the cross. The birth of Jesus was a gift because of its timing and because of its target. But number three, the birth of Jesus is a gift because of its transformation. Man, the transformation that Jesus provides. He came into this world at the right time. He was laid in the manger when the time was right. That began a process in which we would eventually, which he would eventually be laid in a tomb, having done the work of redemption on the cross, and that work accomplished a major transformation. Look at the transformation Paul said. This is for people who have a relationship with Christ. All right, If you've been nodding off, perk it with me here, okay? Because this is the transformation that if you have a relationship with Jesus, this is what Jesus has done for you. And if this doesn't excite you about what Jesus has done for you, maybe, I'm not saying certainly, I'm saying maybe you should go back and check to see what Jesus has done for you. Because when you grasp this, it, as the older preachers used to say, if this don't light your fire, your wood's wet, okay? Look at the transformation Paul said took place. We are transformed from being under the power of sin <coughs> to being under the power of the Spirit. He says in verse 6, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. Because of the gift of Jesus, God removes my sin as far as the east is from the west, and He gives me His Spirit to dwell in my heart until I enter eternity. Yes, I still have to deal with the presence of sin, but I have been delivered from the penalty of sin, separation from God, and I have been delivered from the power of sin. Should I choose to live in that deliverance, that sin no longer has power over me because the Spirit of God in me is greater than the sin that I must deal with. This Spirit not only shows us the kind of life that we should live, this Spirit of God empowers us to live that kind of life. He will always equip you to do what He's called you to do. And when you come to faith in Christ, Jesus makes that transformation. Sin, you can no longer flip Wilson this. You can no longer, the devil made me do it. No more. When Jesus comes into your life, you are transformed from being under the power of sin to having the power of God's Spirit. The same Spirit that hovered over those waters and was part of creation. We are transformed from a slave to a son or a daughter. He says in verse seven, so you are no longer a slave, <clears throat> but a son. Before Christ, we were slaves to sin. We were slaves to self. After Christ, we are adopted into the family of God so that God is our Father. And look, we are elevated to the place of sons and daughters of God by, by adoption. Notice what Paul says in verse 5. He says, very important, he says that we receive adoption. He did not say we recover adoption. He said, we receive 
adoption. We gain something in Jesus that is greater than what the first man, Adam, ever had. It's not that we have recovered a restored relationship. No, we have been redeemed from one relationship, being a slave to sin, and placed into a new relationship, a son or a daughter of God. We have moved from being a slave to sin to being a child of the living God. And he says that we are transformed from a sinner to a successor. Now successor, or maybe we should say it successor just to make the difference. Successor is not, we don't mean one who succeeds. (laughs) Apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. If we are children of God, If God has redeemed us, verse 7 tells us that God has made you an heir. And our inheritance, don't miss what he says, our inheritance is God himself. This does not, listen, this does not mean that we get to name it and claim it or blab it and grab it. This does, this is not prosperity gospel. This does not mean that we inherit an attribute of God so we are just as perfect as God as he is. That is not what this means. Paul is teaching us that when we receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, God himself is our heir. We are forever linked to God and his presence through his spirit is always with us. If you belong to Jesus, there will never be a time in which you are abandoned. Even if everyone else around you leaves you, even if everyone else doubts you, even if everyone else laughs at you, there will always be part of God. God himself in his spirit will always be with you and he will never leave you, never forsake you from this day until the day you see him face to face. He is our inheritance. Him. Not what he can do for us, but he himself. What a transformation takes place. When Jesus becomes our Savior, the Spirit takes up residence in our hearts, and God becomes our Father. Have you been transformed? When Mary and Joseph laid Jesus in a manger, it began a process, a process in which God revealed the greatest gift we could ever receive a relationship with him through the life, ministry, death, burial, and resurrection of his son. This is why I believe and will boldly declare that salvation is only found in a grace-based relationship with Jesus Christ as we respond in faith, believing that he has done all the work for our salvation and trusting that he is able to save us. I want to ask you this morning, the most important question I will ever ask anyone, 
And I believe that God brought you here to this place for you to hear this question. Do you have a relationship with Jesus today? Have you received the gift of eternal life? The only way this gift will do you any good is if you receive it. And praise God, you can receive it today. Would you bow with me for just a second? I don't handle our invitation this way very often. I often don't include this part, but I just feel compelled to do so today. Every single person in this room can walk out of here today with a relationship with Jesus. He has done all the work. I told you that the good news is that if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you can have one today. And here's how you have that relationship. You speak to him in prayer. The words I'm going to use are not magic words. In fact, as we'll see next week, if the words that we use are not accompanied by a heart that is sincere, they are empty words. But if you don't have a relationship with Jesus today and you realize you need to have one and you want to have one, you simply speak that to God. We call that prayer. And as you pray, you might tell God something like this, Lord, I agree with what your word says about my sin. I agree that I'm a sinner. And Lord, I believe what the Bible says about you. That you came to this earth. That you lived a sinless life. That you died on the cross, not because of your sin, but because of mine. And that you were buried, but they laid you in the tomb, but you defeated that death and you're alive today. And so, Father, today, you offer me the gift of salvation and I want to receive it. I want to confess Jesus as my Lord. I trust in what you have done for me on the cross. I trust that it's enough. And I want to receive the gift that you're offering to me today. If you spoke those words or something similar to those words to the Lord in prayer and meant them from your heart, Scripture says, as many as received him, to them he gave the rights to be called the sons and children and daughters of God. That means that you just experienced a transformation. If you prayed a prayer similar to that and meant it in your heart at this moment, you are now a child of God. You have been transformed. And the Bible tells us that at this moment the angels are rejoicing in heaven. And I just don't think it's fair that they get to rejoice in that and we don't. So in just a second we're going to sing. And if you made that declaration to Jesus... We'd love for you to share that with us. Just make your way down this aisle and just say, Pastor, I've made that decision to make Jesus my Lord, to receive him as Savior. And we'll all join the angels in rejoicing. 
if for whatever reason you just uh, can't let go of that pew right now and walk down this aisle, do not leave this building without coming to find me and sharing that with me. Those of us who have a relationship with Jesus, sometimes we say, well, I don't know really what to share with someone. Well, you just heard what to share with someone. And now you don't have an excuse. Who is it that you need to pray for today that doesn't have that relationship? How are they going to come to know who Jesus is if someone's not praying for them? It was through the prayers of a grandmother that I stand where I stand before God today. May it be the prayers of someone in this room that compels someone who needs Jesus to seek him out. I don't know what God's placed upon your heart today, but I know that Jesus was laid in that manger to do more than to give us some cute nativity scene that we drag out once a year. He was laid in that manger to save the world. And until the world is saved, we have a message to declare. So Father, as we place ourselves before you, we do so in complete surrender. I have no idea what you've placed on any heart in this room today other than mine. But I know that when your Holy Spirit works, our job is to respond. So I pray that we'd respond today. Whatever you're calling us to do, may we simply say yes. In the good name of Jesus, we pray.